please be seated. Today we're diving into the book of Joel. I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to hand out any Bibles if you'd like to borrow one today as we look into this book. Joel is a book that's all about what to do when you face devastating circumstances. It's a book for people who have messed up. It's a book for people who will mess up. And for people who, through no fault of their own, have seen things fall, to fall apart all around them. So pretty much for everyone. And the truth is, no matter what led to your own circumstances of devastation, there's no going backward in life. There's only going forward. And learning how to do that is where we find the power of the book of Joel. The book of Joel is found on page 1323 in your Quest Bible. It's a very short book on a seemingly short topic. It's all about a locust infestation. And I think it's hard for us to even imagine what that would be like. But I grew up in northern Minnesota, and every few years we would have what we call the year of the army worms. Did anyone ever experience that? Oh, so gross. These worms come out and they drop from the trees into your hair and they squish under your feet. It's just terrible. For about a week, you don't want to go outside at all because it's just so gross. Or if you've been to the Boundary Waters, you might have experienced those itty-bitty little black gnats that get in your eyes and your nose and your mouth. Horrible. Or for the rest of you, mosquitoes at twilight. Enough said. If you've experienced any of those, you have an idea to start with, but none of those even hold a candle to the kind of infestation that Joel's generation faced. The desert locust starts as eggs laid underground, and when they hatch, they develop into a stage called hoppers that don't fly, but they cover the ground, cutting down everything in their path. And the rate of development for the locust from stage to stage completely depends on the conditions around them. So usually different groups of locusts hatch and develop at different times. But when the conditions are the same in a number of places and all the locusts hatch and progress at the same rate, this can be a huge problem. Because when the locusts enter the flying stage, they just follow the wind, because that uh, uses the least amount of energy. And when the wind blows them all together, they can become one massive swarm, sometimes up to 40 miles wide, which will consume every edible thing in its path. W.T. Thompson says of his attempts to stop the locusts in Lebanon in 1845, we dug trenches and kindled fires and beat and burned to death heaps and heaps, but the effort was utterly useless. Wave after wave rolled up on the mountainside and poured over rocks and walls and ditches and hedges. Or listen to the ancient words of the prophet Joel from Joel 2, page 1324 in your Quest Bible. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like chariots, they leap over the mountains like a crackling fire, consuming stubble like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, the nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They march in line, not swerving from their course. 
They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. An unstoppable force of destruction. And when the locusts are done, what's left is nothing. All the crops, all the vegetation, gone. Everything you had worked for, invested in, gone in a day. Have you ever felt like that? Something devastating comes out of the blue and you don't see how you can possibly stop it? A diagnosis, a sickness, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the crash of the stock market or your investment, the moving of a friend. And sometimes you can see how by one or two little choices, you yourself opened the door to a devastation that you can't turn back. Have you ever wished or prayed you could just turn back the clock? Just take back those words, actions, choices. Undo the damage that was done to a relationship in your marriage with your children, between you and a friend. There's no delete button for the past. Or maybe for you, that devastation comes when you realize your hopes and dreams haven't panned out exactly the way you'd always planned. Maybe you're grieving a dream of how you thought your life would be. And looking back over the years, you're wondering, what was it all for? Maybe you wake up to the passage of time and suddenly you realize you've missed out in investing in relationships or opportunities, things that actually matter the most in life, and all you can see is the waste of years that you can never get back. The years the locusts have eaten is the devastation that seemed to happen in your life in the blink of an eye. What's that devastation for you? What are you grieving? And what do we do when we find ourselves here? Well, this is what we learn from the book of Joel. When you're in a place of devastation, step number one is repent. When we realize these things that we're grieving, it's important for us to feel our regrets. But we can't live there. Regret without repentance is just paralyzing. And the book of Joel isn't just about noticing tragedy, it's about moving from tragedy to redemption. And that only comes from the power of God at work in us. And to repent isn't just to confess your mistakes, it's also to give them over to God. To face down your regrets, let yourself feel the pain of them, and confess where you can see you've been going in the wrong direction, and then dump the whole heap of mistakes into the arms of your God and ask for the courage to change direction. Joel 2 says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. See, repent means turn around. And that starts with admitting where we ourselves have been lazy or selfish or petty or mean are just plain wrong, and inviting God to help us change our course. And the truth is, nobody does this unless they have to, right? Usually it takes devastation before we're willing to confess. But hope never comes from ignoring what's broken. 
Only when we confess what's broken and invite God into it can new life come. So Joel says, step one is repent. Bring it all to God. And once the people do that, then step two is gather the people to pray. Joel 1.14 says, Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land of the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. And Joel 2.16 says, Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children. What do you do in devastating times? Come together and pray. Because you haven't come to the end of your power until you've called on the power of God. And this locust infestation in Joel created a situation of a great leveling because everyone was impacted. The rich, the poor, the addicted, the farmer, all had nothing left. It took everybody down to the foundation. And there's something strangely powerful about times like that. You've probably seen it. Whenever there's a disaster, it's powerful to see how people come together when we know that we are all in need of help. God made us for community, and he made us to call on him so that when disaster strikes, Joel says, come together, everyone, and pray. There's power there. But the problem, though, is that most of the time, the devastations that we deal with in life are usually our own private, separate devastations. The infestations of our heart unstoppably cutting away our hearts and nobody else sees it. All those private, quiet infestations are often the ones that become the most devastating to our futures. A tree in Longs Park, Colorado, when it fell, was found to be 400 years old. This majestic tree was a seedling when Columbus landed. It was struck by lightning 14 times it survived avalanches and storms and ice, and when it eventually fell, it didn't fall to the power of any storm, wind, or fire. What brought it down? Beetles. With all of its strength, it couldn't stand against the relentless attack of those tiny creatures. And so often that's true for us, too. It's the little things that get to us, that take the strength out from under us, when our lives start gathering an infestation of bitterness or anger or we're cut down by relentless voices of criticism or doubt or fear from inside or out, what are your locusts? What are your beetles? What's the private war that you are fighting day in, day out? And how do you fight those beetles? See, every day we're surrounded by hundreds of messages that cause us to doubt our value, our worth, our importance, our impact, our identity as God's beloved. And that's why it's so important that we gather together. Because how you fight a locust infestation is to gather and pray for God to change the direction of the wind and take that swarm of voices along with it. And we need each other to speak God's restorative word to us, to notice where he's at work in us, to pray for us because we all have our own locusts to fight. And when we can speak life from our Savior to each other, when the wind of the Holy Spirit turns those swarms off our hearts, we start to remember instead what he is building up in us, what's meant to be our strength eternally 
his unconquerable love for us. And that's why we value prayer so highly here. It's why we value growth groups so highly here. It's why one of our key values is Jesus makes us family because we know we need each other. You see, when Joel called the devastated people to gather and to pray, gathering wasn't just the method he used to ask for healing. It's part of what God uses to bring the healing. When we gather and we pray, we remember we all have the same Savior who came to fight for us if we will turn to him. Because Joel isn't a story about loss. It's a story about God's ability to restore by his grace. And it's about his plan to restore in us what we never even knew could be restored, what we never even knew we were missing. And that brings us to the third step, which is actually not ours to take at all. It's God's. Because step three is for us to prepare to receive what God will do and is doing in us. In Joel 2, when the people stood before God together in prayer, the Lord answered. And he answered with a promise of salvation and restoration. In Joel 2.20, he said, I will drive the northern horde far from you. I will blow that swarm away. And then in Joel 2.25, he said, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You can't go back. What's done is done. But with our God, devastation is never the end of the story. You can't go back, but you can go forward. And our Lord wants to walk with us into a new future with Jesus' own powerful presence to heal and make of our lives new creations. And there are very real losses in our lives. There are very real losses in our world. But our God is in the business of making the broken new. After this devastation of the cross, for Jesus' disciples, all hope was gone. They had seen how the relentless, selfish appetites of jealousy, hatred, lust for power, fear, and rage had sent Jesus to the cross. They had seen his life destroyed in the wake of their power, his lifeless body left in a desolate tomb. And in that devastated desert place, there was nowhere new life could come from except from God, from the spirit of life who first breathed life into creation. And with that new breath, what had been destroyed was reborn, new in the pure joy of Jesus, rising alive from that tomb, rising to plant the seeds of a new harvest of life in us that no power, no locust, not even death can ever destroy ever again. In the most unexpected kind of reversal, Jesus shows us this is where we find God in the most devastated places in us when we hear him say to us, Beloved, I see what's been devastated in you, in your heart, in your confidence, in your peace. And today I say to you, I will repay the years the locusts have eaten. God wants to restore you. And he showed us that when he sent Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. See, after Jesus' resurrection on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit blew into the disciples' lives, Peter stood up and told the crowd what was happening had been prophesied back by the prophet Joel, that God had promised that the devastations of this world would be met by God's power, first by the redeeming work of Jesus for us, and then through the restoring presence of his Holy Spirit in us. Joel 2, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, God's plan has always been to meet us where we are to bring healing into our devastations through the grace of Jesus and to lead us forward in the power of his Holy Spirit every day that he is our future and our hope. And I'm guessing this is a pretty timely message for us. I believe that many of you at Community of Grace feel like we're looking kind of at a field of devastation right now. After saying goodbye to Pastor Steve and several of the staff, there's a lot of grief And if there wasn't so much to love, there wouldn't be pain. So it's okay to feel the pain of loss. It speaks to what's important and real. But our story is in God's hands. And he never ends a story with devastation. Just like after a forest fire, the new growth begins from the roots. It's important for us to know where we're rooted. Because deep roots make good fruit. And when our roots are in the word of God and in the promises of God in Jesus Christ, we can trust that the fruit that will grow up in this new season will hold the same sweetness and power as it reflects the Lord who cultivates the ground around us. So in this season, as we face our time of transition, along with Joel, we are called to repent, to confess anything we need to confess that's gotten us stuck or led us in the wrong direction and ask the Lord to help us see anything that would derail us from what God wants for us. Because it's the beetles that fell the mighty oak. It's the things that get under your skin that cause you to doubt your purpose or your path or your calling or your capability. But it's the word of God. It's the prayer of the faithful. It's the word of grace that God uses to pour out on us his restoring Holy Spirit. And so we're also gathered to to be community and to pray, to be on our knees asking for God to guide us, to pray for our next senior leader and the vision that God will give him to lead us forward. So community of grace, consider this today your call to prayer. You see, Joel didn't just gather some of the people. He gathered them all, children, adults, seniors. And I know many of the established groups in our church family already have been praying together for this transition time, but we need you too. Let's pray for the power of God's Holy Spirit to blow away the locusts of anxiety or fear or doubt and blow in instead a new breath of life to lead us into the future. So here are three action steps for you today. First, 
Spend some time in private prayer this week asking God for what has derailed you in your relationship with him and for us as a church community, that we might repent and turn back to God. And second, gather. Coming together as a community is important. It matters. So we want to gather from the gathered community here today some information that will help us look for our new senior pastor. We have a short nine-question survey we'd like you all to take. There are some computer stations over by the front desk in the commons today where you can just get that done today. You can do it through your email. You can pick up paper copies at the desk. We want to hear the gathered heart of the community. So please take part in this as we look for God's vision for our future. And third, to pray. At the table out in the commons today, we have an invitation to join the prayer movement. We'd like every one of you to please sign up to pray, to choose a day of the week that you will commit to pray every week on that day, to be praying for our staff and our council and transition team and call committee in that time. And you can pick up a prayer guide today and you'll receive updates about what to pray for as we move forward. And our goal is to have people intentionally praying for every single day of the week. And then most importantly, look to see how God is moving. Because our God brings new growth in us, not by our power, but by his. And he always has, and he always will. So trusting in that promise, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love for us that you draw us back to you, that you call us to change direction, to put our focus back on you, and to see where you would lead us and where you would guide us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world to meet us in the most devastating of places, even on the cross, to show us, Lord, there is hope for us wherever we find ourselves today, and that you will walk with us into that hope by your power and your power alone. Lord, we pray that you would show us how to live as your disciples, that you would draw us into community with one another, that we would gather and pray and seek your face and seek your power as you lead us forward, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, blow the new wind of new life into our hearts. In all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>